It's good to have you guys. Uh, today, we close out uh, our ministry season. Does it feel like we just started better together? To me, it does. It doesn't feel like it's been an entire year. Some of you guys are like, no, this has been a year. It feels like we've had it. I, I get it. But it, it felt like this has gone really quick. And so rather than just close the thing out today and say, okay, cool, now looking ahead and not looking behind, there's a part of this. I think we need to just pause and recognize there's something really significant in this idea of better together that we have, we've captured. Uh, and it's more than just the fact that it's maybe timely for the year 2022. Uh, and it's more than just like a catchphrase that's on a shirt. There's these really deep beliefs that are a part of this whole thing. And they're grounded in scripture. Do you know the Bible doesn't, uh, it doesn't have a whole lot of really clear pictures of heaven. I know that's a weird thing to say because a lot of us be like, well, no, there's this. But if you really think about it, when you think of the entire Bible from start to finish, all of the words that exist in it and the total length at large, like there's not as many like clear pictures that, as you would think of this, but, but there are a few. One of the most clearest pictures of uh, heaven that we see is in Revelation chapter seven. John has this vision where he sees it. He sees this idea of heaven and here's what he says. He says, after this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number. So lots and lots and lots of people from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. There's this idea of what God most wants, that's all peoples, right? Regardless of where, they're, who, where they come from and where they're like, you know, their nations, their, their, uh, every tongue, tribe, and nation, right? All gathered together, united in Christ, united in this way, proclaiming who God is. So that, like, there's this really beautiful picture. That's kind of the trajectory, friends, this really beautiful thing. But it's not just this someday idea. Do you know that the same thing gets referred to as like what's most important right now here in the church? When Paul writes about the church, in 1 Corinthians, the church gets referred to as the body of Christ. It's this metaphor, this analogy, right? Like the, this body of Christ, Christ is the head, we're the body. This is how it gets used. He uses this analogy in chapter 12, and I'm going to read this. It's a big chunk, but I want you to hear this whole chunk of scripture here. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. These are all like the distinctions amongst people groups and all the things. And he says, all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that wouldn't make it any less part of the body. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, that would be weird, right? It says, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each and every one of them as he chose. If all of it were a single member, where would the body be? So as it is, there are many parts, yet one body. So context that Paul's writing this to, he's writing this letter to a church where people are arguing about like whose giftings are better and matter more and what should we all strive for? And what he's basically saying is God brings every person with all of their strengths and abilities and skill sets and everything that the Holy Spirit is doing in their lives into one place because everyone has this really dynamic use. We all need each other. If you notice, there's like a usefulness kind of language that gets used there. In the same way that a body needs a hand and an eye and an ear and all these different things, he's saying in that very same way, there's a usefulness to all of us that come together. Do you realize that you're needed and that God actually has purpose for you and that it's in this idea of community together that it becomes this really full and really clear picture of God and of what he's after of his heart. See, better together isn't just a concept on a shirt. It's a really deep thing that we'd seek to embody now and that we'd hope for someday. And so I was trying to think, okay, so when we go to close out this ministry or what's most important here, 
We could give you another message where we talk about it, kind of like I'm doing right now. Or you know what I think we could do is we could bring some people out that have experienced this firsthand in their lives and who we see giving that away again and again. And you can just hear what God has been doing and what they've seen and some of their perspective on it. And our hopes would be that in closing this whole thing out, that you'd come to just see that even though Better Together might end as a theme for our church this year, that the heart of it is in us, that this thing is, is too good to let go of and is really important and needs to live on. So would you welcome a group of amazing people as they make their way out here to share with all of us here today? So this is Kellen, this is Savannah, this is Danina, and this is Jim. And guys, thank you so much for being willing to do this. I really appreciate it. The greatest fear in America as of like 10 years ago, was the last time I saw this, was uh, public speaking. Number two is death, which means most Americans would rather be in the casket than giving the eulogy. That's a Seinfeld quote, right? And so the fact that these guys are up here and even willing to do this is a really big deal. It's not a small thing. It's not lost on us. And we just, we appreciate you guys. Thank you. Yeah. Okay, so I wanted to start by asking you some questions here, and one question in particular. See, everyone here is a part of a different generation. Kellen is obviously a boomer. Um, and so they all have this different background, this different upbringing, right, in perspective, and you guys have each experienced this idea of togetherness, right, this idea of community or with or everything we're trying to capture here uh, in your own way. And so I wonder if you'd maybe share some of that as far as what it was like growing up. And I want, I'd love it if you'd start, Jim, maybe share a little bit about that. We'll do, we'll do. Um, I grew up in Tucson. Uh, I grew up in the middle of Winter Haven. Um, we had uh, Christmas lights every year, but um, we had great friends there. Uh, we had a, a real tight neighborhood, and you know, we used to go out and do uh, games like hide-and-seek, and, seek, and uh, we used to pick olives off the olive trees and have olive fight, fights with them. Throwing Don't do them that, middle schoolers. <laughs> <laughs> slot cars and, and uh, played games like Red Rover. Um, but I had uh, also had four sisters, uh, all older than me, and uh, we used to do, do uh, things as a family, but one of the things we used to do a lot is um, we would get out a little table that my dad had and put a slide projector on it and then get out the screen and uh, cook popcorn, and we'd all sit around and um, watch family slides and uh, pictures of our vacations and pictures of, of uh, different times when we were growing up, Easter pictures. And I want to pause you really quick, Jim. How many of you actually know what a slide carousel is? <laughs> hey, raise your hand if you don't know what a slide carousel is, like you've never seen one in your life. Hey, there's another thing that Jim's referenced that you guys used to watch too, which was a Super 8. The Super 8 movies, yeah. He's explained it to me twice. I still don't know what it is. How many of you had one of those? Okay. So, but you guys would sit and, and this was like a thing you all did together. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We'd just sit there and watch the films and watch um, what our life was like. And, and uh, we enjoyed it. Just the more popcorn, the better. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. So there's something that was really meaningful about that for you. What was it? Uh, it, it kind of brought together our, our, um, our unity of what we, what we are as a family, um, how we've uh, grown together. Um, brought back images of, of, you know, different events that we went through, family vacations, uh, okay. that kind of thing. So for you, there's a sense of like, okay, we all would be in one room in this one shared experience. 
And there was something yeah. about that that created a sense of what you belong to. Yes. That was really yeah. important to you. Yeah. Yeah, which is a really, really beautiful thing, right? So if you're sitting there hearing like all they did was look at slides and you're like, really? We would just sit around and look at slides? Like <laughs> that's what we do? No, it's way more than that. There's this part of like coming together and yeah. having this shared experience and identity. And I think that's yeah. really beautiful. Supporting each other. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So Savannah, what'd this look like for you? Um, I grew up in a smaller town of Yuma. Um, yes, on your way to San Diego. <laughs> um, that stop. And we, it was much smaller. It was probably a city of like 30,000 total. And so we um, had a, like a two street neighborhood mm -hmm. that we were part of and everybody kind of went to the same elementary schools together and stuff. And we were all friends with each other, um, especially those kids on that, that block. And our house was kind of the hub for that neighborhood in that at the end of the day or wherever we were, we were all at my house by the end of the day. Oh. And so I would remember my mom calling home after she got off work and said, how many kids are at the house right now? She would bring that much food home for us for dinner. It so wasn't... She, she wouldn't call and say like, no. who is at the house? She would say how no. many? Not if anyone was there or who was there. It was just how many. And it didn't matter who it was or if you had been there years or if you just come for the day. <laughs> um, she was feeding everybody. Um, and then I kind of had a shift in my teen years um, where my parents divorced and that community kind of went away. Um, I didn't have that strong bond with my neighborhood anymore. And so I had to kind of figure out for myself what community looked like and what my beliefs were and things like that and so you had to um, kind of find it again versus yeah. it just coming to you yeah 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 um and it's also a military town so a lot of um, people move and come and go mm -hmm. and stuff so that plays a little bit of a role in it but um for the most part it was it was really on me to figure it out and so um through a friend in middle school, she invited me over to her church. I'd grown up in church, um, but not necessarily one that invited the youth in and made them a part of their church, just one that had some youth there. And so her church really included um, the youth and things like that. And it was through that um, that I really learned that I am loved, I matter, and I belong somewhere. And um, as that teenager turned into a young adult and had to go into the workforce and out into um, the world, I started to look at even that coworker who just annoys you to pieces um, as they are loved and they matter and they belong and started to build that community around me again. So there's a part of you that had community because it was just built into life, right? Like yeah. your whole neighborhood just was. Yeah. And then through life circumstances, and I think this is really important because some of us can have this at some moment and then not in the next because something occurs, right? And that you went and really found it for yourself. The thing that I love is the thing you found for yourself you're now passionate about giving away in the workplace and other places in your life, like you're creating that thing. I think that's amazing. I think, I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Danina, I know it looks a little bit different for you. I mean, probably some similarities, but what you're going to share is, is a, a little different. Yeah, a little different. So uh, I was raised in a military family. Uh, my dad served in the Army and um, most specifically Special Forces for about 22 years. So uh, we really learned what that brotherhood meant. I grew up in that understanding of, you know, soldiers go to battle, literally together. Um, but it extended beyond that. And it really was more about 
uh, for us as a family, the families being cared for when our soldiers, our dads, our husbands were deployed. And a um, couple of things, one was one time my dad was deployed and my mom's car had broken down, so one of the guys from the unit came and fixed the car. That was the, that's just what they did. Uh, and then um, sometime after that, uh, again, my dad was deployed. Our house got broken into pretty significantly, and a couple of the guys came out uh, to our house and boarded up the window, made sure that we were safe, actually stayed there the night uh, just to make sure that you know nobody came back, I guess. And so it was really this sense of uh, belonging to this small community where sometimes you know, it was a stranger to me that would come in and take care of us um, and just walk us through times when my dad wasn't able to be there. Yeah, which is amazing because that's not necessarily a community you were born with. That's, that's one that your, your dad kind of had along the way, right? Yeah. Yeah, and that they showed up even though they weren't family. They were family for you in those yeah. moments. I think that's an amazing thing too. Which goes, it, it can take all kinds of various forms, right? People just showing up for each other and recognizing that, which is, is powerful. And Kellen, what's it, what's it look like for you? Um, for me, it directly is correlated to the series for generations. The one we just did? Yes. Yeah. One we're wrapping up right now. Um, because my faith has been taught to me by my mom, and she got her faith from her mom, my grandma. And so I had a few stories that I was going to share <laughs> to help kind of display how I uh, grew up. So when I was two years old, still super young, my mom would have me and my brother pray. And so we'd take turns. And when it was my turn, when I was two, I would thank God for every single animal on the earth. And I didn't thank him in one big group. I went one by one. Luckily, I didn't get into individual breeds or it would have been taken forever. But my mom has a lot of patience. A lot of patience to deal with a little <laughs> two-year-old naming every animal on earth. Right. And so she would eventually say, Kellen, you have to end your prayers properly because when you just go on for 20 minutes naming every animal on earth, I don't know when you stop because <laughs> I would just cease to talk and then look at her expectantly like I, she knew that I was done. So she says, you have to say amen at the end of your, story, at the end of your prayer. And so being a two-year-old, I took that and I said, Amen, after every single story we read. So every single picture book, everything was an amen, so you knew we were done. But just a short two years later, when I was four, we were praying again, and my prayer, she wrote it down, was, Dear Jesus, I love you. I know your book is a treasure book, and all the words in it are true. Please help me to be well. I love you in my heart. Amen. And my mom came to me very recently with a little paper she had written this down on, and I looked at her and I said, how on God's earth did you get me to say this at four? I mean, I'm, two years prior, I was thanking God for every animal on earth and not even saying amen, and now I'm sounding like Ryan giving a sermon. <laughs> <laughs> and to display that uh, back to the generations, I was sitting with my grandpa, and my grandpa's a painter, and he was telling me the importance of having good lighting to not only paint your painting, but also in your painting, so that it, you can convey the imagery, because he does landscape paintings, that you want to convey and have it look realistic for the audience. And so I replied to him by saying, I have very good light. 
I have Jesus and he is the light of the world. <laughs> and once again, I was like, mom, you did it again. I don't know how. And that was, that's how it um, came through to me is, is through the different generations of faith being passed down. Yeah, instilling something meaningful in you that, that, yeah, I love that. I think, so you see how there's so many different ways that this idea of together and witness can live out. Sometimes it's in the small ways of like with parents and grandparents and all their generations with kids. Sometimes it's in a, a military community or surrounding community. Sometimes it's in a neighborhood. Sometimes it's in churches, families. Like there's, there's this opportunity that exists all around us. And what's amazing to me, and I know this from this last year, is if I go to have a conversation with many of you right now, I bet you within five to 10 minutes, it's gonna come up that it feels like hard to do together with people. Like some, some semblance of that conversation is gonna come out where it's like, yeah, it's just, it feels like it's gotten harder or it feels like something's different or it feels like we're, and I don't know when that starts or why or all these things, but I could, you just get a sense of it. And I, I ask these guys the same thing where I'm wondering, okay, so that's the significance of what you walked through and experienced growing up. Does it feel like maybe that's, further away now? Like it feels like it's kind of moved into the distance or something's changed or something lost. And I was just curious. And I'd love to start with you again, Jim, if that's okay. Yeah. Um, one of the things, uh, when it comes to looking at images, like uh, we used to sit and do that uh, slideshow thing. Now, it's a whole lot different now. You know, we have thousands of pictures now. Well, maybe more like hundreds of thousands. And um, we're kind of looking at them by ourselves, uh, singularly. Um, we, we maybe will uh, send one to somebody or, or post it somewhere. Um, but the, the idea of getting together and, and kind of looking through things together, it, it seems like that's kind of been lost. And uh, I think there's an importance to it. Uh, I think it tends to draw people back together. Um, whether it's like a, looking at your wedding album or whether it's looking w when you were growing up or, or some other, like maybe when you're dating, bringing back some pictures that, that help uh, solidify your relationships. Mm -hmm. Like it's like a, instead of it uh, just crafting the story of us as individuals, there's a part of it that starts to tie us all together yeah. in that yeah. moment through that shared experience. Yeah, that is a really powerful thing. Absolutely. What about you, Savannah? Um, I see, I don't know, kind of um, a critic, and I, <laughs> I preface this with, I am a millennial, but kind of um, live in a weird dynamic where I am caring for my 94-year-old grandmother um, while also having children of my own, um, taking and having small groups with high schoolers. So I kind of have all of the generations mixed together right. for me. Can, we, uh, can I pause yeah. you really quick? Yeah. Sorry. Did you guys catch that? So she is a millennial who is caring for her builder generation grandmother in her home. Well, you are also with child, yeah. have a child, <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah, so you are like sandwiched between... <laughs> Uh, everything in between. You do, yeah. So you are a little unique in that context. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so um, the way that I live out my generation is a little different than the rest of my generation kind of lives out that life. Um, and so when I say this, I say this as a millennial generation, not just as me. Um, but I think millennials tend to be critical of other generations and not 
typically younger generations, but more so on the older end of that. Um, Glenn spoke in his second part of the generation series a little bit on millennials and how millennials are very similar to boomers in that we were promised um, a lot um, and a lot of there was a lot of hope going into it that we would um, prosper and have a lot of things for us. And so we listened to our parents and we went to college and we did the student loans and we got a thing and then we graduated and a lot of millennials graduated just around 2008, 2009, and so on. And when the economy was having a hard time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we were having a hard time finding jobs coming out of college, and then you've got the bills that start coming in, and you're trying to build a life for yourself, and you end up moving back in with your parents, and you're like, wait, this isn't what you promised. This isn't what you said was going to happen. This is not how we thought this was going to go. And so sometimes um, I think millennials tend to be very critical of the older generations who told them this, but then also um, having older generations be critical of us as well and saying that, um, you know, you're not meeting those expectations or we, you know, we thought you were going to do more or things like that. And so um, whether that's true or not, that's the feeling I get from peers of my age group. And so... You feel that divide. You can yeah. actually sense that generational divide. There's times. almost like this animosity between each other of like blame of, well, you said this and you did this and, <laughs> and right. that just, it's a cycle that just never ends well or can never end too. Um, and so I have been trying to look at it from a perspective of like everybody is doing the best that they can given the circumstances that they're in and try to get back to believing the best in people and believing the best in people's intentions. Which is a beautiful thing and not always easy to do, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. And I love, I like just knowing a little about you, seeing your heart in that and, and trying to move that forward. Yeah. I want to jump to Kellen. Um, so how, what about for you? What's the thing that you think is, you've experienced has kind of changed or lost? Um, I feel, and anyone in Gen Z out in the audience, uh, you may agree with me, Gen Z tends to be extremely independent and have a very independent mindset of, you know, uh, I got to do everything myself. So you could be as young as middle school going into high school and think, you know, all these older generations, they don't know what school is like now. It's, it's totally different from when they were in school, so I have to, I'm going to, I'm going to have to figure it out myself. No one can give me um, advice or experiences that are actually relevant to what I'm going to be going through. So we have built up this idea that, you know, everyone else's experience is no longer what's going on, so there's no really useful advice that they can give us. But um, I think that we need that, and that's something that we've kind of lost. We've kind of lost that ability to look to older generations and say, this is good advice. Um, just backstage, Danina found some delicious zucchini bread, and if I didn't listen to her advice to pick up a piece, I would have missed out. It's a pretty, pretty minor example, but... see what you did there. It was good. It's, a, it's just a little everyday example of how um, you, can listen, you can listen to anyone. I mean, even if you're listening to other people your age about giving you advice, there's no reason you can't listen to people who are older. Mm -hmm. Love that. <laughs> and Tanina. <laughs> Thanks for the zucchini, Brip. You're welcome. Thank you. Uh, so as I said, my uh, dad was deployed often, and so uh, there were times that my mom and my brother and sister and I would go live with my grandparents for periods of time. And I distinctly remember after supper, we would sit on the screened-in front porch, and my granddaddy would tell stories of what it was like when he was growing up as a boy. Uh, very rural part of North Carolina. Uh, we 
tobacco farmers, and he uh, would tell stories about being one of 11 and working on the farm and mischievous things that they would get into uh, from time to time. And one of the things that really stood out to me was obviously back then, this is in the olden days, uh, they didn't have indoor plumbing, so they had an outhouse, and he got the biggest kick out of using the Sears Roebuck catalog as toilet paper. And um, would just tell you know funny stories like that, and that just stuck with me. And um, for, for somebody that didn't finish the eighth grade, he had to drop out in order to work the farm. There was just a lot of a lot of old wisdom there, and I just enjoyed kind of sitting at his knee. So I, I realized that when she was sharing this, and I got to hear this the first time, that like you're talking about hearing stories, but it's not just you're saying, like, weren't those great stories? There's something that's really, really meaningful about that. Like, it, it did something for you, and I wonder if you could articulate that piece to us. Yeah, I think uh, hearing the stories and then just also watching how hard my grandfather worked in the fields and how hard my grandma worked you know, cooking and cleaning and taking care of everything, it really instilled in me this sense of hard work uh, and, and not being afraid to get out there and, and sweat and, and do what needed to be done to take care of your family. And, um, and, and he ended up being a very successful farmer, and so it, it also showed me that, you know, there is some reward for, for the effort. Right. You know, one of, the, one of the things that is kind of a commonality out of all of this is just this idea of that, story is really powerful and that everybody, everybody has a story, right? And that shared stories kind of bind us together in some ways, whether it's with the things uh, Jim was saying, whether it's each of the things that each of you have been alluding to, there's this idea, and that's one of my favorite things about Better Together that I don't want us to lose as we continue to move on. It's this idea that every person, everyone in here has a story and, and there's something about sharing those things together, there's something about binding us together in this powerful way that, that is a good that lives on beyond that moment, just like you're articulating it's lived on in you which I love. Okay, so there's also some ways that each of you have experienced uh, people being with you, uh, stepping into your lives in moments that have really mattered, uh, that I know are really personal for you, and, but have, been, have mattered a ton. And so I wonder if you'd be willing to, to share some of those. And I'd love to start with you, Jim, if that's all right. And, yeah. Yeah. It was a summer night. Um, we had gone out to dinner with my daughter-in-law, my wife and I, and um, our phone was my phone was ringing. Um, I was trying to ignore it. Uh, turned out that the uh, uh, sheriff's department was trying to get a hold of us, and uh, he had us just wait for him at the parking lot. And um, he pulls up on his phone and shows us this uh, picture and says, "Is this your son?" And yeah, it was our son Ben. And, and from then, I, I just remember him saying something about a shooting. And the words that really stuck with me was when he said, "And he didn't make it." Um, I, I always felt like my wife and I were on pretty solid ground um, spiritually, that our relationship with Christ was like we're standing on a rock. And at that moment, that rock kind of turned to uh, sand, maybe even quicksand. We were just kind of like we're sinking. And, and for the next few moments, it just continued like that. And um, an amazing thing happened in the next um, days and weeks. Um, the community around us just kept um, came to us uh, by calling, coming to visit, um, supporting us in different things. Um, I remember uh, calling uh, 
fill in and saying, Phil, I, I need to put together a service and I, and I have no clue and I have no strength. And he says, don't worry about it, Jim. I've got gotcha. you. And um, he proceeded to do, take care of all the details for us. Um, and uh, people around us just came and um, called and um, told us how much they care for us, um, how much they loved us. And we got to see um, Christ's love just kind of boil up uh, to the point where it brought our uh, legs back to us and, and um, kind of started supporting us again. And uh, one of the groups of people that um, stood out a lot to me was um, when he was growing up here at the church, he had a small group that was really tight. And um, those guys called me and uh, sent us messages. Um, they they uh, came to a service um, uh, and that group was super tight. They, were, they would spend most of their weekends together. Um, it was kind of an, an amazing youth group time uh, with those guys and how close they were to each other. They were a rambunctious group. <laughs> <laughs> I was their youth pastor. And there were a few, few groups of students that you had to be like, where are they at all times? Because like, you know, what's happening around there? What's going on? Because <laughs> they just had so much energy all the time. But they were. They were really close. Yeah. And they all showed up. Yeah. Yeah. And... Uh, one of the things that um, I, I've struggled with in the, and I still do sometimes is um, how lonely he must have been because um, I read the reports and, and I knew that he was uh, laying on the asphalt and um, towards the last part of his life. And um, that loneliness um, just has always bothered me is, you know, how, how that could have felt. And um, at one time, all of a sudden, the, the image that Christ of uh, coming to be with him at that moment. Um, a loving God um, just coming and wrapping his arms around him and saying, I'm with you, I've got you, um, come with me. And um, that always brings, brings a lot of peace to me. Yeah, because you know that he wasn't alone. Yeah. And neither are you guys. Like, we, we absolutely love you. You know, um, that, that small group of boys that he was talking about, they, they were really, really close when they were in middle school. I took them all to a camp and uh, they had to do this event where they had to have a team name. And so they said, you know, what, what should our team name be? And I said, you guys should call yourselves PIP. And they said, what does that mean? And I said, puberty in progress, because you guys are like walking hormones all the time. And then they all started chanting PIP, like they just owned it. And what's really funny is we, at the funeral, we shared this story and uh, all of them were there. And suddenly all of them stand up at one point and pull their pant leg up. And just one year before that moment had all gotten the phrase PIP tattooed on their body. Uh, just as like a moment of solidarity. And these are guys who did this all, who had like started this all the way back in middle school here in this church. It taught me two things. It taught me, wow, the power of community and relationships is a really powerful thing. And it also taught me be careful what nicknames you give people because they stick. <laughs> If you're one of their parents, I apologize for the <laughs> permanent marking on their body at this point in time that signifies puberty and progress. Um, but Jim, it, it's your family's loved. And it was an amazing opportunity for us as a church to come around you and just this community and the way they showed up for you. And I'm proud of that. I love that. That's an amazing way to live out better together. So um, for Danina, I know you uh, have an experience of your own that this was significant. And I wonder if you'd share that with us. Sure. So uh, my husband Bill and I and our two daughters have been coming to church here for a very long time. 
uh, our daughters grew up here in the church. And when our oldest daughter was uh, in her teens, she started down a path of struggling with mental health, self-medicating, and then uh, ended up in a, an addiction journey. And that was, to say the least, extremely difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, I had feelings of guilt, feelings of shame, isolation, um, felt some judgment. Right. Inside the church or outside? Uh-huh. Yes. Uh, and <laughs> at a time where we were really desperately needing love and support, there were people that were literally pushing us away. Um, and that was painful. But there was a larger group here at this church that didn't do that. I mean, they truly embraced us and walked us through some very difficult some very dark times, um, and I'm, I'm quite sure I wouldn't be as well today as I am had it not been for some of the love and support that was poured into us. And um, so there were some low times, but I'm, I'm also really grateful and so thankful to say that this group of people have also been able to walk through some celebratory times with us as our daughter is uh, coming up on five years of being clean in July. So, That's a big deal. Yeah. I thought it was amazing to see the way people in this church came around you guys. And what I love about their story, and, and many of you probably don't know this, but uh, it wasn't one generation. It was all kinds of generations of people just pulling you guys in. And can I tell you my favorite part? Is that after all that you have walked through, and your daughter in particular, I, I know she doesn't live here now, but I love that when she comes back to visit, that this is a place she feels like she can belong at, and that she feels like she can be here, and that is a huge and welcome. thing. Yeah. Yeah, so we love you guys. Okay, so, um, and uh, Savannah, I know you've experienced this too, <laughs> differently, right? Yeah, yeah, your own story. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, as I was saying earlier about um, how I grew into a church that I uh, loved. And uh, about 10 years ago, we moved to Tucson, uh, my husband and I, and um, found ourselves kind of in a place of um, church where there's not really a a place for young adults. Um, We were out of high school kind of in college and uh, but didn't have kids. We were married. It's just this odd time. Um, Don't miss what she's (laughs) saying right here. So statistically across the nation, one of the hardest groups for churches, like if you just look at who churches do a great job loving and ministering to, one of the hardest groups is that weird pause right after high school, all the way up until you kind of start a family. There's this gap between where it's like, yeah, you will become a part of a family system at some point, and then there's all these things at churches for you. And there's this other group of people that oftentimes feel like, well, where do we fit in this whole thing, and where do I find community? Uh, and it's a big deal, and that's what you walk through. Yeah, we, yeah. I mean, must have tried <laughs> tens of churches, yeah. um, and really tried to find a place somewhere. And in 2019, uh, we finally landed on Casas, and um, really grew our family. And I, um, I really remember 2019 was it was August and there was about five months between that and total pandemic shutdown and I was thinking about that I was like that's incredible to grow a relationship with so many people in such a short amount of time that 
even throughout pandemic, we felt supported and we felt like we could start a family. We had been married for almost seven years at that point um, and never felt comfortable enough. We didn't have our own personal families around us and we didn't really have a, a full community around us. You have a support system. Yeah, yeah. And, and for those of you who have kids or um, are at that point in life, you know that that community is what's important because you can't, it's just impossible to raise a family by yourself. Um, and so, um, in, I guess last year we welcomed our first child, have a second one on the way, and it was because of this church and the people who surround us, our ABF um, communities around us that really said, you know, we care about you, we want you a part of our community, um, and really made us feel comfortable. Uh, I think as a first time mom, you're just nervous about everything. Um, let alone in the middle of a pandemic where you're afraid your child is going to get sick. But um, they really made us feel comfortable enough to leave our son at um, in the kids um, kids program in the, yeah in the yeah. kids program there. And so um, it was really nice. And even now he's been there for almost a year now. And they see him and they're like, "Oh, Eli's here! It's come bring him in." Hey guys, Eli's here. And so it just feels really welcoming. It feels like there is a place for us and things I took for granted during my pregnancy and shortly thereafter was just the community that came around us in our um, ABF who came and brought us meals or said, hey, why don't I help you clean up the house while you take a nap real quick and things like that. And it's just um, little things like that that you don't realize you even need. It's like a family <laughs> you weren't born with. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It's just people that are showing up and I love that. I think that's amazing. So, and Kellen, how about... About you? Um, when I hear this question, the first thing I think of is my small group. So I'm a senior, so I'm going to be graduating soon. But I have had the chance. Kellen graduates this week, right? This Wednesday, yeah. Yes. Well, um, big <laughs> 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 Sorry, we got to take a moment for that. That's a big thing. But I've had the opportunity to get really close with my small group. There's uh, just a couple guys. There's um, Zach. You may have seen him running around on stage with the camera or uh, the youth pastor, Stacy, her brother, Jesse, and my small group leaders, Todd and Tanner. Um, if you know them, you know exactly who I'm talking about. And those guys, the five of us can just sit in a room, and if I was ever going through something, I know I could go to them and talk to them about it and be vulnerable with them, because I'm, I'm not a person who's inclined to be vulnerable. A lot of the time, I feel kind of uncomfortable doing it, but with those guys, I know I absolutely could. And that's, that's like the, the tight-knit group, but also this church in general. Um, it's more in the high school. I see Brandon. Brandon, I see you. Uh, he's another senior. He's in a different small group, but he, I've, he's a great guy as well. And I know if, I, if, you know, Zach and Jesse were gone and Todd and Tanner were out sick, then I could definitely join their group and hang out with Brandon. And Brandon would totally hear me out. And then also, like I mentioned, Stacy. I know Stacy would... Uh, help me out if I was ever in a place where there was some tragedy. So I know that the church, um, like everyone else is saying, they would, they would come around me. I've, I'm confident in that. So you have people that are for you and that you know you can be safe and vulnerable with. And that is no small thing. Especially, I mean, we, we might be talking about you as a graduating senior in high school. There's a lot of adults in here that would look and say, that is no small thing to have that in my life uh, in that way too. So I love that. You know, I wanted to, I wanted to tell you guys why I, I asked each of these people to come up. Because this isn't just a random sample of, of people. They just be like, let's see what people at Casas are doing. There's something in each of them that I so respect and admire 
not just in the way that they have experienced better together through the life of this church in their lives, but the way that they give it away. And so I would just love it to take a moment to recognize that with you all. And I'd love to start with you, Jim. Jim, you are the longest running youth volunteer in the history of Casas Church. Thank you. Jim was a small group leader when I was a student uh, there, and uh, here actually, way back when, and also is still uh, involved in the lives of, of young people. And Jim, you have this, this sense of unconditional acceptance and grace to you that is so powerful. And for all of the parents in here who've ever had a kid that maybe other people shy away from or other people wanna box in or label, you break all those walls down and you give love away again and again and again. And we love you for it. And we're so proud to do church with you and have you a part of this community. So thank you for the way you live out better together. It's thank a you, huge Ryan. deal. Thank you. Thank you. And Savannah, you are unique <laughs> in that there are not many people uh, in your stage of life that have a little one, have a child on the way, are also a small group leader for Gen Z high school students and are also caring for their 95-year-old grandmother all at the same time. And the tenacity with which you pursue community and make people feel like family uh, and pull people into your own is a big deal. It, it's a huge thing. And the way you continue to create space for others. And so I just love that energy and I love what you're continuing to give away and bring because you value it. And we hold that value with you. So thank you very much. Thank you. It's huge. And Danina, uh, we love and appreciate you so much. Danina has served on CASA's council and you use your voice and your leadership to continue to encourage us to be a church that leads beyond our walls and pulls more people in and creates better together spaces in this place. Danina, you also practically helped run the middle school department for a long time uh, around here. And when you stopped doing that, you actually started an ABF. You and your husband started an ABF where they were the only person in their generation in it and they mentored the next generation of leaders in that group. And so many people who are now connected in their early 30s are here because you laid track uh, to allow that space for those people to occur. So I thank you. And you also lead through this service. You help make this happen almost every week. And so I just thank you for the heart you have, the way you lead and the spaces you create to pull more and more people into the acceptance and love of Jesus. It's beautiful. Thank you. And Callan, whether you know it or not, you are a leader. I hope you know this about yourself. You should know this about yourself. You are a leader. And it's awesome to have a young leader in our church who is doing uh, as many things as you. And I, you know, Glenn actually shared this, that when he was on the Mexico trip with you, that that trip came to uh, an end point where most of the work had been finished. And Glenn and Stacy are standing up trying to consolidate all that meaning and share with the students how significant, how important this thing was. And he said, what, what they struggled to do, you stood up and you shared with your peers and with other small group leaders and even leading the senior pastor of this church talked about the significance of what it meant to love people in that regard and the things that you guys did. And it united an entire group of people. And we are so thankful for your voice and your heart and are proud of you. Mm -hmm. I, I just hope in seeing this that yes, you see some examples of maybe how this is beautiful, how it gets lived out, the power in it. But more importantly, I hope that you guys see some things are too good to let go of, aren't they? And some things need to live on beyond the theme of just a year and need to become values that we seek to live out and activate in our lives because there's somebody else in this room that needs you. That's the truth of it. You are the body. 
This is, the, you, you come with unique skills and giftings and get to show up in the life of somebody else just like these people do and got to experience from so many others. And so I just want to continue to challenge. Glenn's going to make his way up here and just challenge us one last time as a senior uh, leader around here. But can I also say, can we give these guys one more round of applause for what they did today? Thank you, guys. Thank you. You know, uh, <clears throat> before we just kind of close out uh, this ministry season of Better Together, I just, I didn't want that to slip by without just addressing just a, a couple of things here real quickly. Uh, because, you know, thinking back when we first started praying about and looking and considering a theme for this year, Better Together, um, that was done with a lot of intentionality and, and looking at the world around us and what all of us were going through and really seeing how important it was to do something like this. And better together, it really isn't a theme as much as it is a, a value for us. Like, it's not just something that ends here because it's a value. Um, it should always be a part of us. And it's something that this world really needs. I think about this world and it's what we have watched. Differences become a thing that divide people. And, and there's something that happens in us as human beings, this need to belong, to be a part of something is so beautiful, but there's like a double edge to it. That when we struggle at times, that need to belong can create fear. It can create things where differences actually push us apart, rip us apart, and we experience that and we see it in our world. But for a church, there is something so vastly different. Because we are a Jesus Christ-centered church, it can become something different. That need to belong, which is a beautiful thing, can actually be found in our differences, right? If Jesus Christ is at the center of who we are, then our differences don't have to divide us. Our differences actually become beautiful uniquenesses that pull us together. It becomes our strength. We, we can be a community of people of multiple generations of different backgrounds. And I want to challenge you to keep living this out, that, that it doesn't just end here. It may end as a theme, but as a value, we carry it forward. So think about it. Reach out. Let Christ in you be the thing that, in, that has you inviting and pulling people in. And let me give you a couple of just really tangible ways that you can live that out. Um, even as we enter into this uh, summer and even right now, so something that we do every year, it's called uh, Gifts for Grads. And it's a way for all of us to just love on and celebrate all of our grads coming out of uh, high school. And we just get them gifts. And uh, we have these cards uh, right back here. We're going to have these cards where you can just see some of the different gifts uh, that you can get for the grads. And when you uh, pick up one of these cards, uh, you can get it for like a specific grad that you'll know their name. You can be praying for them and just get them uh, some simple things that just let them know that their community is loving on them. So I want to challenge you, maybe uh, do that this year and you can go and get the card right back uh, here for our grads. Then the other thing that we do that I love is now taking how we're better together from like our immediate community here, like with gifts for grads, to like the extended community, the, the community, the greater community around us in this city. We live in a city where every year there are a, uh, quite a few refugees that are fleeing other parts of the world and they end up coming here trying to start over life and you can imagine what that is like. 
And so right here in our backyard, there's an opportunity for us to minister to refugees who have come in here. And one of our partners with this is the Tucson Refugee Ministry. Um, again, better together as we partner with this ministry. And uh, during the summer, we put together, uh, uh, we part, I should say, we partner with the Tucson Refugee Ministry uh, as they put together like a camp for these kids uh, that are kids of refugees who come here. So during the month of June, we're gonna, t the, every Tuesday, they're gonna be doing something for uh, like this camp for the, for the refugee uh, children. I wanna challenge you, participate in that. And, and you can go and volunteer and be a part of it. And then you'll get like some great stories out of that. And or you can sponsor a kid uh, who is a refugee here in our city to be a part of that. And we've got people from our own church and from the Tucson Refugee Ministry. They're going to be right back here in the back of the room. Go get some information. You can go back there, sponsor a child, or uh, sign up and volunteer for that. But this is a value that should live on and will live on in us as a church because it's just who we are. Uh, why don't you stand, and I'm going to close us in prayer. And uh, if you're a guest here this morning, uh, it's so good to have you here. And, and we really mean that. It is a delight to have you here as our guest here this morning. Let me pray and we'll be dismissed. Father, we just thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ, and how he centers us uh, in you and in him in a way that strengthens us to be the light of the world, to, to be something and experience something, to belong to something so beautiful. And we pray that the beauty of that shines through us in every way. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Have a great morning and we'll see you next week.